Welcome to a brand new intro from me, Matt Davis, the marketing community manager here at Auric Digital. So I, I was holding back the uh, the chuckles. Then that is my my new ringtone, though. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I see you, call me, and you'll hear exactly what <laughs> that going. exact noise coming out your phone. You come into the office with it. So uh, if you didn't pick it up from my space themes, my name is Matt Davis, the marketing community manager here at Auric Digital, joined by my space compadre, absolutely uh, Matthew Curiosity Walker. That's, that's, that's me, audio like guy. It. Very like it. Um, how are you on this space-themed day? Well, um, I've been wa- watching a lot of space stuff yep. recently. Mm-hmm. Firstly, I'm immensely jealous of yours and Thomas's visit to the ESA offices thank and Mission you. Control. Uh, thank you very much. Um, uh, and we will be going into that very soon. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, spoiler alert. That's what we're talking about today. I mean, there's that's a cool, cool visit. It and was one Mars of the coolest trips in the I've game. ever done. Is just going to absorb all oh, of that stuff. Absolutely. All the all, all those lovely, lovely, mm. delicious carrots are mm. going to be on the plate. I have Mars been. Horizon. I have genuinely been. Anecdote. I mean, I I I know quite a lot of space facts. I mean, like, don't you know? People <laughs> You've just open yourself up to yeah, a wave of things. Uh, I know all the space. Facts. I mean, don't worry. I mean, you may have seen we ran a space fact session on Twitter a little mm. while ago when yeah, we did yeah. the Mars Horizon Blast stuff launch, yeah. and uh, and that was really good. And we had we had loads of engagement, loads of people talking and really getting involved in it. Um, my brain, there's 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 a great meme right that exists or a web comic that exists with this of a of a, of a guy going, "Hey, brain, can you look after this?" <laughs> bit of this fun fact right and then the brain picks up the fact and runs over to a pillar that says important information and it puts the fact on the on the pillar and it takes the important information and runs over to a cliff and then throws it <laughs> off the cliff and that's kind of what happens with me because all the important stuff i should remember you know how do you set a fire in a forest you know what drinking water is acceptable to have you know that all goes and then i suddenly remember that in the apollo 11 mission the lunar limb lander didn't have a handle on the outside door. What? Yeah. So, like, when Neil Armstrong comes out and steps down onto the moon, right, then there's the photo of Buzz Aldrin uh, stepping down that you may have seen. And he basically had to sort of, like, half-wedge the door (laughs) open because they hadn't built it with a a handle on the front because they didn't think to be... And when I, when I say this next quote, right, I'm in no way saying I believe in any conspiracy theories around mm-hmm. space, right? But the space adventure is 100% a fake it till you make it <laughs> deal, right? <laughs> because we, like, when I read more about it, I'm like, there is no way we should have gone. To-. We definitely did. This is a podcast that is firmly in belief that... It's pro-moon landings. We, we are very pro-moon landing. If you don't believe the moon landings didn't happen, you're an idiot. <laughs> this is very simple. Okay? I've I love those conspiracies that surround that, though. Like, isn't another one that, um, if that conspiracy was true, was it a... Oh, who was the director that apparently oversaw oh, um, the whole thing? Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean... He directed it. Uh, That's insane. I've, I've got one very simple argument against people who say we didn't go to the moon. Right? Okay. okay. Which is that it was during the height of a thing called the Cold War. Now, a few people know about the Cold War. There was a bit of a disagreement, to put it bluntly, <laughs> to put it very lightly, between <laughs> America and the Soviet Union. Right? right, right. Now, the Soviet Union had spies everywhere in america right they were in the postal service they were drawing maps and diagrams and little lines of things all over the place like they knew everything right so you're telling me that the soviet union who knew quite a lot of what was going on in american american life and american programming wouldn't have caught wind of a fake moon landing 
Like, wouldn't have got wind of it somehow. And then not told everybody in the world about it. Because my favorite one is like, yeah, well, maybe they had an agreement, like, not to talk about it. And I'm like, they literally put nuclear missiles next to each other to eradicate each other. But they went, whoa, 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 yeah, but the space thing would be cool on that, yeah, bro. (laughs) We're cool on that. I'm not having it. I'm making it a quest in my life now to, uh, to, like, bat down people who talk bad about space and it not being real <laughs> would you have the same reaction to to flat worlders is, it, is that what uh, they're flat earthers flat earthers yeah. Oh, yeah flat earthers are a special breed thing. of stupid <laughs> <laughs> i mean whilst we're talking about conspiracy theories and we will get onto today's mm. content um i found myself something a bit closer to home but have you heard of uh, a chap called bob lazar bob name lazar? rings a bell i'm pretty sure it's not lazar bob lazar it's a great mm. surname anyway um, for the the purposes of not quite knowing the surname, let's call him Bob Laser. Bob Laser, that's that's cool. <laughs> yep. But he's a guy that um, I'll have to say he he claims to have worked at a site um, within Area Fifty One. Um, going by the way, but, but, <laughs> <laughs> but he's I was watching um, his podcast with Joe Rogan. Mm. Joe Rogan does uh, a great series. Yeah, podcast. I knew this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And he he claims to uh, when in in the late eighties he was transferred from his. Uh, kind of physics chemistry based job um and took up a job on this site which was within area 51 and he was saying about how he came into contact with an anti-gravitational uh module device and you know this is like the late 80s Mm. and and he came across elements i'm I'm not a scientist but he was coming (laughs) across elements and things that don't exist within the periodic table and yet he was looking at it and and of course when you're watching the podcast Mm. Um, this is the same thing if you're having a conversation with someone who believed in ghosts or something. Even yeah. if you don't, when you're just listening to it, you're like, but, but there's a difference he's there. talking with such Yeah, but I think there's a difference there, though. Passion right, behind like, it. There is probably a lot of stuff that, you know that thing about like iPhones probably existed a long time before right, they right. came out into the general population, right? So you kind of essentially had like a grouping of people that kind of went, I know and I have all this information, so yeah. I can kind of use it. And I was testing it and... You know, there, there's a hierarchy of richness in the world where there's certain people that will get stuff before anybody else. Yeah. So I, I don't unbelieve that certain things like that will happen. I do take umbrage with the fact when people like question one of no, the greatest achievement in human history next to building fire and learning to speak. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like it just and 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 I think and to 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 make it contextualised about why I'm talking about this in this episode and. Um, as you have pointed out earlier, Matthew, that we, uh, Thomas and I, who will be on the episode a little bit later, mm-hmm. uh, had the opportunity to go to ESA. And I was thoroughly taken aback by just how amazing going yeah. to space is and the things that space agencies can do and have done. Um, so the reason that I'm talking about this and give you a little bit more context about what we're going to be talking about in the rest of the episode is... We went to ESA, so Tom and, Tom, uh, Thomas Rawling, who is going to be coming in a little bit later to talk yeah. to us about that as well. Um, we both went, we were both just awestruck, like completely blown away with how great the, the place was. And, and I was so humbled and so like amazed by what goes into space travel. Like, so there's a mission that the guys at ESA have done. And we'll, we'll kind of pick up on this a, a little bit later, but it's, it's called the Rosetta mission. Okay. Mm. Have you ever heard of it before? No. Right. Okay. It's one of the like most amazing achievements I think I've heard. ESA fired a satellite, like a sort of mi- like a mining type satellite. And when I say mining, I don't mean like it's extracting ore out the ground. It was just like a, a thing that needed to land on another thing. Um, it, they were monitoring a comet that's flying through space. It's sort of twisting and turning as it's flying through space. And they landed something on its surface. 
That's insane. It's 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 like, and you see, and they've got it there. They've got like a, the the Rosetta module that's just sitting How there. How do you calculate that? That's just exactly. my 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 brain cannot digest the magnitude of that work. I mean, like, okay, that's incredible. I mean, I'm so bad at maths. I just fill in Sudoku's. I don't even check them. Like, <laughs> no one's double checking your stats anyway, so it's fine. You look just fun to fill the boxes. Yeah, just fill them in. I like filling boxes. In. <laughs> so that's the extent of my math skill. <laughs> okay, so imagine me. You didn't say that to someone at ESA, right? I mean, because <laughs> no, I think no, you no, just. No. <laughs> You would have been blacklisted. From- <laughs> I don't think I would have been let in the room with them. <laughs> but like, yeah, you're right. Like the scale of what they're able yeah. to do and how they're yeah. able to achieve it is, uh, it's amazing. It, anyway, we should probably get ha- around. Having to- said that, yeah, so just one last thing. Did you ever find yourself in a scenario when you were at ESA where, of course, they can do all these incredible things and the, and the level of the, of the detail work is, is just mm. mad. Um, but did you ever find something in a scenario where they were just talking about like, oh, what have you got in your sandwiches today? And, oh. then, and then followed up by, oh, yeah, we should probably check the solar panels on this satellite. <laughs> yeah, da, da, da. I, they have like a re- really weird, like, again, we, we touched on this in one of the early seasons of uh, How to Make a Video Game with Auric Digital, which you can go back and listen to now. If you haven't, <laughs> if you're coming to this new, you can listen to like three more seasons We've got, like, worth a box of this set's nonsense. Worth yeah. <laughs> like yeah. But because of because of these old the, the, these older bits, that we were talking a lot more about how like people think video games is a cool industry, mm. and it is a cool industry. It is a very interesting industry. Um, but it also has that thing where a lot of stuff that we talk about becomes quite day to day work. You know, like sort of should the laser be that powerful on that gun? Oh no, maybe we need to drop it down by a few. Whereas anyone else looking at it would be like, oh, that's so cool. Whereas for us, it's a bit more like, yeah, this is day to day. This is what we yeah. do for our jobs. Yeah. And I think the guys at ESA have the similar sort of thing because yeah. it is like like they're hiring people to do very specific jobs, right? So, and again, the the, the two guys that I met, um, uh, do you remember their names? Elliot and Francesca, who were super lovely and super helpful, and we're going to hear from them both later as we um, talk to them. Um, but they both were like hired in to do very specific roles within lunar missions and various other bits and bobs. And 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 again, they just kind of were like, yeah, but it's my job, you know? It's just kind yeah. of like just so like casually, like it's my job, and and and. I was like, no, no, your job is to send rockets <laughs> into space. Like, that's not just a job. But yeah, but, uh, but it, it kind of is. It kind of is. It's what they train yeah, for. It's it, where their talents lie. It's what they. It's what they do. I remember having a similar conversation, not on the same scale, but with with one of our uh, with one of our digital's uh, programmers, uh, Sam, mm. and. Uh, I don't know. He he was explaining something to me about UE4 and, and code or something, which I totally didn't get, but I found it interesting. Mm. And um and I just kind of said to him, I was like, do, do you not kind of like wake up some days and go, yeah, like feel such a sense of power of the, what you can do with code? And yeah. he's, I can't remember what he said, but his response was kind of like, it's my thing. It's just what I do. <laughs> you know? I do. And I was like, dude, you're so cool. Yeah, no, Sam's <laughs> not. No, this that. is no, <laughs> that's one amazing. thing this podcast is definitely just. Sam is not a cool man. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, we'll get back to that a bit. Probably right. in the outro of this episode, but yeah, yeah. Um, we might as well just start talking about it now. Okay, so we are now joined again in the studio by Thomas Rawlings. Welcome, hello, Tom. Hello. Uh, and uh, we are going to be talking about a really fun, uh, we, we kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, but we're going to be talking about a really fun trip that we made recently. Uh, and that was our trip to... Germany and the Netherlands to go to visit the lovely people at ESA. Yes, so um, it was, I mean, it was pretty, for those who don't know, we're going to say ESA a lot. ESA is the European Space Agency, mm-hmm. and, and we'll talk a bit about who they are in a minute. Um, but yeah, it was pretty amazing to get, when you make working on something on a game, when you get to talk to people who actually do it, it's always really fascinating. 
Uh, and I've been lucky enough to do this quite a few times with projects. And this is probably the most full-on version of that I've done. So, you know, we, we got to speak with people who are actually involved in the in missions to Mars while you're making a game about missions to Mars. Mm. I mean, it's it's totally on the nose. I mean, and, you know, I didn't really want to make Matthew Walker too jealous here, but, like, <laughs> it was one of the coolest trips I think I've ever been on. Like, just seeing the place and seeing the whole the whole. The, the, just what they were doing and how I they was seeing your posts on uh on Instagram yeah. and whatnot and and yeah man like I, I just looked at that and just 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 wept just wept <laughs> and so you should that, yeah. Yeah. so you should so um uh, Tom can you just give us a brief yeah. idea of like of like where, where how how this came about how we yeah yeah with them? um well so when we started working on um the game in the very very early stages we actually reached out to the UK Space Agency they gave us a little bit of support early on in the game. And they said, you should talk to ESA. So uh, through various roundabout ways, um, we ended up meeting uh, uh, um, somebody from ESA who actually came into the office. We showed him what we we're working on, the physical game, the digital game. Uh, he seemed to really like it. And then kind of it went from there. So for those who don't know, the European Space Agency, it's an intergovernment organization. Uh, so there's 22 member states and their, their mission is to explore space. I should say for anybody thinking, yeah, but what about Brexit? The European Space Agency is not the European Union Space Agency, Correct. which is actually a separate space agency. So um, Deal with that, Brexit. <laughs> yeah. So this is a separate thing for anyone thinking that. Um, although one of the things that I think I most enjoyed about being there was it really is something very very positive very special very what's the word i'm looking for very humbling. affirming yeah humbling yeah. and affirming mm. that all these nations have sent all these experts and people and they're coming together and their role is to better understand our planet and space mm. that that that's what they do yeah and you know so they've got missions like cryostat which is a satellite that above the ice caps that's um, helping us to understand serious issues like climate change or something like ExoMars, which we'll talk about a bit more, where they're, they're basically looking for signs of life on Mars. Uh, it, it's just really affirming. And it was they're all really lovely people, incredibly mm -hmm. smart people. And it's like, you know what? When humanity stops messing with the stupid petty stuff and comes together and says, what can we do? It's really something special. And, and I think ESA... That trip to ESA saw so much of the best of humanity. And, that, and that's one of the things we want to get across in the game. It's very, very cool. But just out of interest, what, what was the office atmosphere like? We're just walking in there. Like, what, what is that, that atmosphere so like? We went to two places, actually. So we were yeah. one, once in, one in the, um, uh, the East Tech site, which was in the Netherlands, and then one at the ESOC site, which was in Germany, which is their mission control place. Right. And both places had their own distinct vibe. But, every, but what I found the most fascinating was just, like, the languages. When we sat down for lunch, we were just hearing one table speak German, one table speak French, a couple of people behind us speaking English. You had people who had all these different accents. But everyone had this sort of, like camaraderie together mm. they were all mm. kind of in it together there wasn't any sort of like oh we're the physicists and you're just the engineers or you're the this or you're the <laughs> that separate tables it was, yeah no it wasn't it was much more it was just such a like it was such a vibe of like community spirit and community yeah. like togetherness with people and and even they were you know smiling and chatting not that i think you know they think they're too big for the people making the teas and coffees but it was like you know they were smiling and chatting away and having these conversations and i know that i was talking to somebody who was who designs you know uh, panels for like you know the side of a shuttle talking to the <laughs> bloke who makes sure the bread is buttered properly but they were all like yeah friend it was M all like mission yeah there was a sense of mission yeah sense like, of mission yeah like that. and that that was really exciting I, I think that was yeah that that was that permeated everything i tell you my other biggest takeaway i took from it 
all nerds. <laughs> okay. Of course. Because yeah, now this is, well. <laughs> and this suited us actually down to the T because basically what we were there to do was uh, show off and demo the game. So mm. both games, so that's Mars Horizon and Mars Horizon Blast Off. Um, and we, we we basically took it to, to an audience of people. So uh, very thankfully to the uh, the lovely people in the ESA comms team, which are hopefully going to be listening to this. So hello again. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, just, I mean, just to say a big thanks to them as well because they really did help make the whole process super smooth. But um, they put a thing out online and said, hey, by the way, there's this video games company turning up that want to show you their new Mars-based game. Want to come and have a look at it? And we were sold out for all four of the sessions that we ran individually no for them. So yeah, no, there was loads of people, like tons of them. Yeah, so, so people cool. had to sign up internally. Mm-hmm. And um, and then so we what, what we did is we ran a whole bunch of demo sessions of the game where we showed it to people and got them given a chance to play it and ask questions. And then we did some one-on-one interviews with some of the key sort of scientists and engineers there as well. Uh, yeah. And we'll, we'll share a bunch of that with you now. Um, but if anybody's interested, um, we've actually recorded a bit of one of those demo sessions. So what, what is that like? And and here, here's a little clip of what it sounds like when you, you'll hear me mainly because the microphone's close to me. And then in the background, you'll hear Matt chatting about, uh, at this point, I was usual, demoing the physical nonsense. game <laughs> and Matt was demoing the digital game. Mm. Three, two, one. Right, so you've got a minus one error, um, but you've got two, uh, they're not pluses because you need all three of them to do it. So you need to get a 10 or more on two dice. And you have successfully put the first person into space. Wow. <laughs> so you have successfully killed the first person in space. <laughs> Is this also a reward? Uh, yeah, well, you do gain, if, you're, if a mission fails, you still gain one research. Yeah. So as you can see, we're, we're quite busy. We were quite, we had quite a lot to do there at the time. And we did lots of talking and lots of showing off. And, you know, we had a real, real vibe from it. But I think one of the things that I really took from it as well was that it, it really made, made me remind myself about... Um, we have a term here in the studio called the pillars for our games. Um, it's something that we do now with all of our games where we look at the core points of what the video game is, what it isn't, and how it actually works together. And it's been incredibly useful, incredibly helpful, but it really underlined and really sort of cemented the ones that we made for Mars Horizon. One of the most important ones that we had was authenticity. So one of the things we wanted to do is we didn't want to, didn't want this, Mars Horizon the game uh, is essentially trying to be as authentic as we can without you having to get a degree in you know authentic but accessible yeah. yeah yeah that's a good way of looking at it yeah it's like a it's sort of a way of us being able to show you what people go through the difficulties the challenges and everything else that they have in spaceflight without having to spend all the time and time and time and effort on it mm. um and really it's it, it's bringing together those parts and and so here's a good story right I'm showing the game off. I'm showing Mars Horizon off to, to to this group of people. And this one guy goes, that really looks like this satellite. We'll call it Dave. It wasn't Dave, but we'll call it that. <laughs> That's the name of it now. Um, he said, that really looks like this satellite called Dave. And I went, oh, that is Dave the satellite. And he went, oh, right. <laughs> That's the, uh, I do the, I do the solar panels on that. Like I'm the, I'm the guy that, that makes and designs and puts those solar panels on. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, I thought it looked really similar. I said, oh, that looks really good. That looks really amazing. And uh, again, that, is the level of authenticity we want to go for. Because again, one of the wonderful things we've had with our partnership with ESA is they have given us access to those mm. satellites and those rockets and various other things to keep yeah. it, you know, looking yeah. the part. And, and we, I, I think we're going to be able to go into some of those interviews now and how they connect back to the game, which is great. 
Though uh, one anecdote I want to share with it is somebody. So when we were doing the demo session, somebody and, and I said, "Oh, there's a lot of people here. It's quite busy." And they went, "Oh yeah, people are really interested to see what you're doing." You know, it, it's it's a little bit of excitement for the day. And I'm like, "What? So you think what we do is really cool?" They're like, "Yeah, yeah, you make games. That must be really cool." And I'm like, "You send things to Mars like on a cool scale, like." You know, you're 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 like the Premier League. Yeah, We're yeah. like Division One, maybe, maybe Division Two. But they're like, yeah, but everything we do takes so long, you know. It was but but that that was that was like yeah, a cool off, should we say. But so yeah, we so we we did these interviews and you're gonna hear th- this this next couple of sections me chatting um with some of the engineers um and you know talking about what they do and how it relates back to what we were building uh there is some background noise in there sorry about that and it does sound like a a robot factory making mars landers but it's actually a coffee machine um it was in one of the little cafes there that we did these recordings um i bet it was the best coffee machine ever though yes space coffee space coffee coffee. so so initially (laughs) so initially uh well well, this is me introducing myself to them just to give you a flavor of, of, of that sound um Okay, well, anyway, I'm Thomas. Yeah, Pleasure to meet you. Um, yeah, thanks very much. Uh, yeah, so we are in a cafe in the ESA. The, the building is this control operations, is it called? Well, yeah, this is one of the operational buildings where this is actually the building in which we have our main control room. Right. From which all the missions are launched. So the first people I'm chatting to there are uh, Johannes Bauer and Thomas Dressler, and I hope I've, I've uh, pronounced those right. And and they are both engineers who work on Mars Express and ExoMars. Uh, and just to give a little bit of background, because obviously they assume you know all this stuff because they live it in day and out, just to make sure people are up to date with where we are. Um, Mars Express um, launched back in... Uh, so it launched in June 2003. It got to Mars by December 2003, and it also had the Beagle 2 on it, which was a lander. Um, and it, it travelled 400 million kilometres to get there. Beagle 2, which was named after Darwin's ship, uh, they were looking for lives on, life on Mars. Uh, sadly, that didn't make it. Uh, they jettisoned it correctly, but it didn't make it. But the Mars Express is still operating and still sending back data. Uh, a few years later, uh, well, quite a few years later, uh, they decided to send the second mission, which is ex- uh, which is the ExoMars mission. And this is a two-part mission. So what you've got is the Trace Gas Orbiter, which had a test lander called Scaparelli, which was named after the uh, astronomer Giovanni Scaparelli, um, who'd made Mars observations. They launched that in early 2016. Um, and then next year, so in 2020, the follow-up to that is a rover, uh, Mars lander and rover, and the rover's named Rosalind Franklin, named after the scientist whose work was key at understanding the structure of DNA. Here are two of the engineers on the project talking a little bit about how all that works and how it connects. Uh, it's fascinating stuff. So the mission was split into two, the ExoMars mission, the orbiter with a lander demonstrator, and the rover separately. So now we have a rover mission that's going to be launched next year. That's uh, just a lander that goes directly down on the surface. There's no orbiter. But the, but the orbiter is used to. The orbiter is going to be used to. The help orbiter, the ExoMars orbiter, is yeah. used to relay the data from the from the rover. Right. We are already using it now to relay data from the NASA rovers. Because again, in our game, that you know, we want to give the player the choice that 
you might want to test this stuff out or you might just want to go for it. It's obviously more expensive if you yeah, do. Yeah, that's what we basically did with Mars Express. Yeah. There was the Beagle lender. Yes, so Mars Express or also had a, a lender attached to it. So yeah. um, the scientific payloads on Mars Express were partially on, yeah. the, <laughs> partially on the on the orbiter and partially on the lender. Yeah. And um, the lander um, was, was detached upon arrival in, in Mars orbit and landed. But communication was not, uh, it was not, we weren't able to, or they, back then, they weren't able to establish communication. So something in the, in the landing process has failed. The suspicion was that um, uh, a solar panel, the solar panels were folded on top of the, of the lander and were supposed to unfold. And they covered the antenna which is required to establish communication. Right. And uh, it's suspected that the, the, the unfolding mechanism didn't work. And thus the, the, uh, the solar rays were covering the antenna and communication could not be established. Uh, right. So, um, but nevertheless, it's important to understand that this is, it's part of the scientific payload, but it's not the entire mission. Yeah. Um, and also one can get still useful scientific data in case of Schiaparelli, for instance, during the descent, data telemetry was sampled, for instance, atmosphere density and, uh, well, yeah, mostly atmosphere density, I think. So basically, uh, temperature was measured, it was measured how deep the temperature penetrated the, 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 the landing demonstrator, and this is useful information to design future, uh, future descent missions. Because it's very important, you, you, need to shield, you need to shield the lander because due to friction, yeah. you get very high temperature. And if the composition of the atmosphere is unknown, one would have to increase the shielding, thus add vastly more mass to the lander. But if, it's, if the, the, the atmosphere composition density is known, one could reduce margin yeah. and uh, end up with a much lighter lander, which requires a smaller launcher, easier transfer, um, all this. So it, yeah, everything, usually everything yields useful scientific results, even if, if it fails. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, there was one major aspect to this is that uh, the, this landing demonstrator was kind of an evolution to the Beagle, because the Beagle designed the, the flaw that, that the lessons learned, let's say, that yeah. we took out of the Beagle failure, was that uh, you did not have any communications while it was descending through the atmosphere. So you, we never knew what was the actual failure of it, Why, when and which part of the descent yeah. or landing it failed and what was the cause for it. So, so one of the things that I, I talk with them a lot about is failure, because in our game, you will fail. Like, space is difficult. It's not um, easy. It's not easy. <laughs> and, and I think that's, that's a harder sell in a game, because you want to be able to, like, ace everything. I completed yeah. every level the first time. And it's like, well, space isn't like that. And I think there's a great quote. So this is another one of the engineers um, that we chatted with called Michael Kahn. And he gave this great quote, which I just think sums up the difficulty uh, of... of of what you're trying to do when you're when you're launching space missions some of the things that would be really interesting to know is is what what are the things you're worried about going wrong what are the big things that systems that you worry about failing on 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 such a complex mission what worry what you're worried about mo the most is the things that you haven't thought of because right. you think of you try to define all those failure modes and space is all about I mean, space is not a very forgiving environment, so right. you don't want to have your spacecraft out there with not enough resources to, to cope with something you haven't thought of. So space, is, space flight engineering is all about margins. Yeah, right. So you, you, you design, you try to design as, as best you can, and then in the end you add some margins just to be sure. Yeah. 
So in our game, you have this mission control element. And I think that's one of the real key things that, that, you know, that we're really proud of and spent a lot of time working. But you're always really worried about, like, you put it in front of people who do this and they're going to go, yeah, that's a bit rubbish. Uh, and so I was very nervous when we were showing people how this stuff worked. But I was really pleased at how actually because what happens both in the mission control and how you put together missions is essentially you you add together chains of events or you're trying to control chains of events to get the outcome you want and if anything at any point fails well it fails as we discussed but also you learn from that failure and i chatted with michael about this a bit and and again his his input on it was 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 basically really affirming that we're doing the right thing in the game you can compare that to a puzzle a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. So you, in the beginning you're in nothing, and then the first mission is rather primitive, and it's really focused on surviving and getting any data back at all, just surviving the the, the trip. And the technology is not far enough to have any good data. So you get a few little pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, and hmm, you look at these pieces, and it really doesn't tell you very much. And you send another mission, but then you want to know. And then you see, you know just enough to know that this could be interesting. And then you send another mission and you start getting a bit more, a few more pieces. They don't fit together. And typically when you have, a, when you think you solve one, you try to answer one question and you might find an answer or not, but more often than not, that's going to give you two new questions that you hadn't thought of before. So uh, then you, you start seeing a little bit more clearly, you send another mission, aha, uh -huh. then you see, oh, I think there's a pattern that's evolving here. But in order to, to start to begin to understand even, you really must have a sequence of, of um, missions that are building on the experience gained for the one before. And as you can, as you might guess then now, if, if things don't always work out, that means there's probability in the game. You know, if a rocket will launch, if an order to a mission will complete as planned, etc. And so like probability and things happening or not happening, it is a big part of the game. And again, it's like, are we getting this wrong? It is probability the wrong way of thinking about it. So I chatted with Michael about the idea of of certainty, uncertainty, probability within real missions, and this this is what he said. And you can start seeing how that fits with the other data, and pretty soon you, you get from all these very diverse sources, you get uh, you get more and more information, and you narrow down your the uncertainties, and in the end you have a, a design where you think. Well, I think that could work now. I think we have a seventy-five percent chance of making it. So it was. I was super pleased that he was like, "Yeah, you you you're going in the right direction with this idea of of understanding and managing the probability." And so, really, what you're talking about is a risk reward loop. Um, so you know, the more you push something, the more you might gain in terms of the mission and the knowledge, but the more you might lose in terms of loss and. And so risk-reward is, is really at the heart of, of what you're doing in Mars Horizon and actually is at the heart of what you're doing in space exploration per se. Uh, and again, this is Michael talking about that. So the, the little bit of the game you saw, like one of the things we do is, yeah, we give the idea that as you're putting together the vehicle, there is a kind of percentage chance that, that you think you as the person running the space agency think you've got of that mission working mm -hmm. and then you face the decision of whether or not you're going to go ahead with that so if it's a low percentage do you want to try anyway or do you want to delay launch i mean does that feel realistic to it's very realistic we have uh, on every mission there's a mission uh, there's a risk manager and risk management is, is important so we, we can see 
um, typically the um, single events. So this fails, or that fails, or this happens, or that happens. What's the probability of that happening, and what's the impact of that happening? So what we want to avoid, we, we do. <laughs> so we want to avoid having things that are likely to happen and that have a catastrophic consequence. We, we don't. That we try to avoid. Um, and then, yeah, just. So just as I was finishing chatting with Michael, uh, and I sort of said, is there anything else? And, and he said, oh, oh, your your rocket design process, which we, in the game, if you played the alpha or if you if you look at some of the videos of people playing it, it's very modular. You assemble parts of rockets together to make rockets. Ours is not like a big physics simulation of making rockets like, say, Kerbal Space Program. And that is very deliberate. Kerbal Space Program is a great game. Uh, and in a way, they do it really well. What's the point in, in yeah, repeating absolutely. what they've done? Yeah. You know, we don't gain anything yeah. by that. So we made ours modular in a way to make it more accessible. Uh, but Michael sort of picked up on this and said, um, yeah, it said something really, really affirming and interesting. Putting together rockets from bits and pieces of rockets that have been developed earlier, that's precisely what the Americans have been doing, like the Saturn 1B. Okay. The Saturn 1B... The, the lower stage, because the Saturn 1B was launched for uh, many tests in low Earth orbit, uh, where you just wanted to do things in low Earth orbit for the Apollo spaceship. Mm-hmm. And it didn't have to go any farther than that. The Apollo 5 could, uh, the, the Saturn 5 could go to the moon, but the Apollo, uh, uh, the Saturn 1B could only go to, let's say Apollo, and Saturn 1B could only go to low Earth orbit. And the lower stage, it was a two-stage rocket, and the lower stage was built up of nine small rockets, which were just patched together. Oh, right. Yeah. I did not Virginia know. Rockets, yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. It, it had to be done quick and dirty, and it worked. Brilliant. And so, yeah, I mean, lots of that stuff so spot on with what we're doing. It's almost like we asked them to say this stuff, and I promise you we didn't. <laughs> this all came down into their own their own, <laughs> their own words, their own actual words within here. Um, well, I mean, as I alluded to earlier, we, we did get an opportunity to visit two sites. So we had to the uh, first opportunity was go to the East Tech site, which is basically like the main administrative hub for all of ESA's operations. So that happens in, that's in the Netherlands uh, and a lovely part uh, as well. Very quaint, you know, very central European looking town as well, like out in the middle of nowhere. And it was boiling hot as well. Like it was absolutely roasting when we went out there. Um, they got a lovely building, a lovely office out in there. And then the second site we went to, which I mean, not that I've got a favourite and anyone from ESA who's listening, but the ESOC site, which is where the mission control centre happens, is pretty rad. <laughs> it is very cool. It's very, very I mean, cool. any any office, any building that has a, a mission control part well, to it, I mean, come on. Let me put it this way as well, right? Not only does it have a mission control element to it, it also has just like old satellites. Just They've just used them as like bits of displays. They're like, oh, what's that? I was like, oh, yeah, that's the, um, you know, that's just part of a Dave. You know, challenge. Yeah, Dave Rocket that's sitting there. <laughs> and this one's another. Here's, here's a model of the Ariane, you know, five that's sitting over here. And oh, yeah, that satellite actually went to the moon and came back. And I'm like, you just leave it in the car park. <laughs> like that's that. I mean, that's... If you've got that stuff available to you, though, you, you're gonna make some kind of uh, decorative <laughs> thing out of it, surely. No, exactly. Um, so as I said, one of the opportunities I got was to speak to a load of different people there and, and, and over at those two different sites. And the first one I got to meet was Elliot Sefton Nash. Um, now Elliot came up with a really nice quote that I think sums up something that we were talking about a little bit earlier about just the vibe and the feel of like what what it's like to work within ESA and what it's like to work within that program. So let's just have a listen to him talking now. So then when I moved from doing research um, to come to ESA, there was a real, oh, okay, there's a lot going on un- under the hood, so to speak. So, um, you know, not just in terms of the engineering, but also in terms of the logistics and the international cooperation, all of the legal stuff, um, and just the, the sheer scale of it all. Um, 
you know, I realized that actually I was in a community of a few hundred scientists, but there was a much larger community of a few tens of thousands of engineers and lawyers and managers and so on making all this, all this possible. I should also say I then also got an opportunity to speak with Francesca McDonald, who is a uh, she was currently working on a on a moon or a lunar based study. I can't remember what it was. It was super awesome. It was so good. I was just like mesmerized by her job title. It was so cool. And I should point out, we are going to have a quick word from her, but obviously I was actually in a mock-up hangar where we had we were sitting next to the Exo Mars rover and a model of what the Mars surface would look like. Um, this is the robot factory. It's not like you know, the other one was the <laughs> coffee room. This is actually the robot factory. Um, but one of the points that I was talking to her about is the uh, she's come up with this great quote, and I, I really want I want her to say it because I think this will just sum it up perfectly. But this kind of understanding that actually it's not just those people that. Are- get launched and go. It is a huge um, effort from the ground, even whilst the mission's happening, but certainly in the build-up, as I said, even from just this design um, concept. So all the way through, even if it's just the monitoring, the science backgrounds, even just coming up the aims and objectives of the mission is just just one small aspect of it. And that's where I'd like to think I'm able to contribute as a scientist. But I think if you can have a game that exposes that, lets people know, also inspires the next generation of people to know that they can get involved in an agency in some form or another. I think it's a really good idea. It's a bit kind of like football manager rather than the, <laughs> a football game. So, I mean, hell yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's, to give, that's to give the context I mean, on amazing. that, like when we were coming up with the original stuff in the game, it was like we thought, yeah, football manager in space. So, and I should say, you know, we didn't pay her any money or ask her to say that. We didn't feed her the line. It was just, she worked just, for ESA, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> She's just un- totally, totally out of the blue. She came up with that and it's like totally on the nose, on mm. brand. We, would... we were, yeah, we were, we were, uh, yeah. High fiving, <laughs> high fiving from from the other side of the room. We're like, so, um, yeah, that that was amazing, and that and that gives you a kind of sense of, um, yeah, a sense of just just the whole thing, and 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 I think we want to, so we want to send a, f- a few thanks to, to to some people there. There was lots of people there who gave us their time yep. and their expertise, and we want to thank everybody there. So obviously, all of the people that we uh, that we've mentioned that we interviewed so far, we want to yep. thank them. Um, we also want to thank. Uh, we also want to thank Anna, uh, Anna Jacob Brook, yes. who was our main contact there, who took us around the sites, took us everywhere, helped me when I had a little bit of an issue with the passport. Yeah. So that's something oh, we she, can talk she was about absolutely later. fantastic and speaks like a, a, a thousand odd languages. Uh, it was mad. just, oh, she could just, <laughs> she's conversing with somebody in French and then suddenly she's chatting in English and then she's chatting in German, then she's wow. chatting in Dutch. Should also say a big thank you to Bradley as well, who was the coordinator for organizing these individual events, like making sure people got in the room, sorted all the details out. Again, super duper duper helpful. Um, we should also say a big thank you to Emmett Fletcher as well. Yeah, so Emmett, Emmett was actually in the office not that long ago, and and uh, so Emmett was the guy who came over originally that we met, who saw the game, and he's he's so positive, so helpful with it, uh, and and really without him we wouldn't have been able to go there. We wouldn't have this partnership. So huge thank you to Emmett. But Emmett, Emmett, uh, Emmett also has one of the best anecdotal things. So obviously the 50th anniversary and the moon landings were happening. I was having some food with him. We were chatting about that. I was chatting about, I'd, I'd seen the um, uh, First Man, the film recently. Yeah, I was yeah. chatting about that. And he just casually drops, oh yeah, yeah, I met, I met Neil Armstrong. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> It's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I met Buzz Aldrin as well. You're like, oh, whoa. I'm guessing that would have been at some kind of convention. It wasn't just down like a local no, supermarket or something. Yeah, he just bumped into them. Buys avocados in the same place. No, I, I think he was at some, yeah, I think he was uh, 
uh, when he, I think he said, and apologies Emmett, if I've got this wrong, uh, when he graduated with his engineering masters, yeah, uh, I think Neil Armstrong was there, sort of giving talk to students at that point. But I mean, that's just super cool. Yeah, I, yeah, super I met cool. met Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, and he's met a bunch of the obviously met a bunch of the ESA astronauts uh, as well. So yeah, that that, that was very cool. Uh, I also want to get send a shout out to uh, Jens Larsen. Uh, who uh, is one again one of the engineers who who's been super helpful with us on email, like sending us information backwards and forwards, yep. answering questions that we've had, and there's a bunch of other people. Too probably too many to mention. If we've missed you, huge apologies because um, there's just so much help you've all given us. So a massive thank you to everybody there, and we really hope that our game does justice to the the, the incredible work that you do. No, it's a space theme song. Yeah. Oh, no, for, for this was it Star Wars or something? Yeah, it was supposed to be the intro. Oh, well, I, I, I for a second, then I thought it was your um, uh, red alert thing from season <laughs> one or two, or which kind of yeah, which would have been so, which you can listen to again, which go have a nosy to, because uh, then you can hear all three of us talking. But um, thoroughly enjoyed that episode. Very good. Uh, Spacio. Oh, it was honestly, Spacio. it was one of the best trips I've been on. It was like, it didn't feel like work. Well, how, how could it feel like work? You know, I mean, I made mention it of it busy. just... Don't get me wrong, I did not work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I made mention it in, in, in the main chunk where, like, if, if I was there, I tried to put, picture myself in your shoes. Mm. If I'm just walking around this place where you've got people there, there's, there's this job title and this person does that on that satellite and I'm current, this guy's currently working on Mars and da, da. Mm. Just think, man, like... Uh, it makes me feel so kind of insignificant and you guys are doing such important work. Don't say, yes, you are insignificant. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? But it's just, I'm a bit of a dreamer. Yes. And I love looking at clouds. I love looking or imagining what is beyond that. If yep. you look up, you're looking forever. Yeah. Because I do it with stops. stars. You I look love at the stars, that. you have that thing yeah. of like the, the grand nature. If you it's, go on a clear night out. Yeah, yeah, it's great to dream. If you get anywhere mm. where there's no light pollution and you can see how many stars are actually in the sky yeah. and you just kind of think about that kind of stuff. You know, this is all getting very kind of profound right yeah. now. But I mean, uh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't no, it was a great trip. That is a, a good trip. way. There's a good way of summing it up. It was, it was, it was, it was cool. It was really cool. And and again, you know, just to underline, I know we've said a big thank you again, but really do say a massive thank you to the guys from ESA for sorting it out, helping us get the organization of it done, getting us down there, taking us around, showing us sites. Um, and for the amazing feedback too. Oh, the feedback was amazing. The feedback, feedback is, is literally invaluable, like literally invaluable. But having like even just little things like, um, right, we went to the actual mission control center Right. And they were like, oh, no one's in there. You can go in and have a look. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I was like, do you want to take it a photo of me and Tom, like smiling, like thumbs up, like, hey, look at me. But um, one of the things I thought was really, so that, that you've got, and it does, one thing I thought was quite interesting, it looks what you imagine it would look like. Big screen, monitors, Big screens lots of tables, the front, Lots of tables, lots of phones, lots of headsets, lots of like numbers reeling on the top. They've got this old wooden board at the back mm. with all the missions that have launched from there. So yeah, yeah, and you can see where the Ariane came in and all the other ones and blah blah. But um, one of the things I thought was fascinating was just behind the flight controller. Was it the flight operations director? Yeah, flight operations director. Right, okay, and they are the person who is like the head honcho. Like they are the ones. They're the um, what's his name from Apollo thirteen? You know, in that was done in um, Ed Harris's character in Apollo oh, yeah, thirteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't remember his name. Okay. Anyway, but that sort of yes, like that you know that sort of With person. With short short shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The person who's like, this is the decision we're going to make. Yeah. You know, I don't want to listen to you. You're going to listen to this. I'm going to listen to me. So that's the person that does it there at ESA, and that's their position. 
And behind them, in their desk, super swanky, very nice, nice little flight operations director sitting there, four monitors, keyboard screen, probably some fancy computer that could run any video game 15 times over. Like, you could play some pretty sick <laughs> FPSs on that, but that's not the point of what I was looking at. Well, there's this old phone, like really old-fashioned phone that's sitting behind them. And I was looking at it, I was like, what on earth is that phone for? And it turns out, when I was speaking to uh, one of the comms guys who was helping us out there at ESA, she told me, she was like, oh, right, yeah, that's um, that's actually connected to like a really old-fashioned network here in Frankfurt, right? Okay, so it's like a really old uh, phone line, but it just hasn't ever gone down. So we've just left it there, because if anything else goes down in the building, there's ever a tech fault, he can pick up the, they can pick up the phone and just be like, hello. <laughs> We've lost all our power. Can we please have some so we could send our what spaceship sort of, back you know, up? We're we th- thinking it, what, like a 70s thing? Older yeah, than that? Yeah, no, we're talking like, yeah, it looks 70s, 80s. Right, okay. Yeah, like, yeah. Very, like I would describe it as a 30-year-old man as, uh, like, what I had at my nan's. <laughs> you know? Like, that sort of old, like, plasticky, yellow-type yeah, yeah. phone. And that's just still sitting there. I mean, that's only one of the things they do. They have a, they have a, a room, which is like, oh, a building, sorry, that is a secondary power generator for like the whole of ESA, like of that site. Yeah. And it every morning someone has to go in, turn, well, I'm sure she means a few people because it's quite a big operation. Turn it on, turn it off, make sure it's all running. Because if the power goes down in like the grid in Frankfurt where we were, yeah. they need to be able to run things because they have satellites in space <laughs> that are relying on this information coming back and forward. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Like, why wouldn't you do that? <laughs> yeah, and, it's like, yeah. and then they've got a secondary plan for what happens if that backs up and it's just like, oh, it's... Just um, the, the safety measures, the, the, the backing up of any any kind of network that's in place there must be insane. Did you ever speak to someone or did you ask any questions or ask if you can see something and someone just said, you can't go there. We don't talk about that. Uh, no, unfortunately no, not. There oh. were no, yeah, no Naruto running needed. <laughs> so you didn't, you didn't see the secret button for the, the underground laboratory or something? No, unfortunately not. Um, no, they were really, unfortunately, really welcoming and open and like, oh. yeah, you could have, oh, that's the broom cupboard. You're like, yeah, sure, it's a broom cupboard. Uh, it's a broom cupboard. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was unfortunately very lovely and really nice. Oh. So thanks, Issa. <laughs> yeah, thanks for your work there. Uh, no, but no, honestly, big thank you to them all again. And a uh, big thank you to all of you guys listening as well um we're going to be talking again a little bit more about why we were there and another bit of why we were there in our next episode mm-hmm. uh which will be more about mars horizon the video game itself so tune in next time and um until then till later.